My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. read our passage together. This is kind of our passage that reminds us why are we walking through the Bible? Why do we keep opening this book right here? So let's read this together. I'm going to do my best to read it with you. We're going to get a good pace and work all the way through it. So let's start. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm going to leave this passage on the screen right here. Let's look at the bottom line, the last line. The reason we need the word of God is to equip his people, God's people, to do every good work. God's people have a work to do, have many works to do. In fact, the scripture expands this idea even more than we could probably first imagine. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it says that God has plans for you, plans that he has designed for you to walk in. God had a dream for your life before you ever lived the day. God had works just for you to do, works for him, And these works are not just of of your own imagination and your own creativity, but your very creator designed you for these works. Oftentimes, we will think of work or ministry or spiritual work as something for the professionals to do, the, the guys with the degrees and pastors in front of their name. But there is no professional idea when it comes to ministry. Everybody who's a child of God, everybody who's following Jesus Christ has works that they are called to do. We all have a ministry. We all have a calling. We have a calling to live a life of integrity and also to live a life of impact. Uh, We were called to live a, a holy life, but also a life reflected by humble service to those outside of us. And we should feel... This weight that that God has a plan for us, God has a dream for us, God has works for all of us, and these works should create some sense of weight and heaviness over us where we say to ourselves, man, I don't know if I'm up to the task. 
God, your, your design is not to keep me on the bench. Your design is not just to keep me in a seat. Your design for me is that I would live a life of impact, that I would lead out. We say the vision of our church is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you notice at the end of the discipleship pathway what the word is? Connect, grow, serve, lead. We expect everybody on the pathway of following Jesus to lead. Lead in what way? Lead in leading others in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We're all here to lead. And we all have this calling in our life. So let me, let me ask you a question. With all that in mind, that God has works for you to do, a dream that he dreamed for your life before you were ever born, a high calling on your life. If you were to ask God for one resource to get that job done, what would you ask for? Just one thing. What would you ask for? Right? Maybe, maybe you could say, maybe you could complete the sentence, if I just had more of this, well, then I would live the life that God wanted me to live. Right? If, if I just had more money, then I'd be generous like God calls me to be. Right? If I just had more power, more influence, more time, more health, what do you need desperately? What should be your highest priority in prayer when you seek to live out the calling God has on your life? I'll tell you honestly, myself, you know, I'm very humbled to be your pastor, very humbled to serve you as your next lead pastor. But I feel the heaviness and the weight of that calling, the heaviness and weight of that responsibility. What should I be praying for? What would God grant me if I were to ask him? What one thing I've said, here's what I need as a leader. All of us, we're embracing a new season of change and transition. We're all looking forward to that bright future of what sunrise will be in the coming days. What do we need to lean in? What can you pray for? What can we pray for? What, what do I need to pray for? This is what we're going to encounter in our passage today. Is we're going to see a leader. A leader who is at this big transition moment and he is humbled by the good work that God has called him to do. And he just, he finds himself in this place of being overwhelmed by the task and he asks God for one thing and God is so pleased with what he asked for. He says, man, I'm not even just going to give you that. I'm going to give you all of this other stuff as well. And I hope that's what God would find our hearts saying today. That we would ask for the right thing, the thing we desperately need. And that he would say, sunrise, I'm so pleased that you asked for that. Let me show you all the other stuff I'm going to give you too. Here's what I think we're going to find. Is when we're trying to lead and when we're trying to figure out how to lean into God's calling in our life, the greatest thing we can get is a listening heart. In fact, that's the big idea for this morning. The big idea for this morning is this. Leaders need a listening heart. We're all called to lead, all of us. All of us, whether it be in our family, at our workplace, in our friend group, we're all called to lead as followers of Jesus Christ. And our most desperate need is to have a heart that listens to the voice of God. That's what we need more than anything. More than resources and time and money and finances and power and influence, skill and intellect, what we need is a heart that listens. And God is so incredibly eager to give us that if we'll ask for it. Let me show you this in our passage today, 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And let me just tell you right up front, this is the rhythm we're going to fill in this passage. At first, we're going to see clearly that this guy needs help. Solomon needs help. He's got a big job before him, a big calling before him, and he is not equipped 
to do it. He does not have the skills. He is not adequate enough. He is not competent enough. And that will be made abundantly clear to us. And he'll see it himself. And in that humility, he'll ask, God, give me a listening heart. And God will be so pleased that he'll pour out everything else. And I'm hoping what we will do is we will have that same posture. Right, so let's jump in. First Kings chapter 3. First Kings chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. And what we're going to see right up front is it's very clear. Solomon, this new king of Israel, he needs help. Let's just start verse 1. Let's see this. It says, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he married one of his daughters. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. And at that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at local places of worship. For a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. Right up front, before we ever hear a word out of Solomon's mouth, we can see this guy's going to need help. Right up front, it talks about his marriage. It says he married a daughter of Pharaoh. But the the first way it describes this marriage is it's a marriage of alliance. Is that how you have ever described your marriage? Right? As you propose to your bride, I want to propose engagement. I want to align myself to you. I'm looking to make an alliance. Like, what is this, NATO? Like, what is happening right here? Right? Clearly what we see is this is a political marriage. This is politically advantageous for him to marry Pharaoh's daughter. Why is that? Because if he's in danger, that means Pharaoh's daughter would be in danger. And Pharaoh clearly does not want his daughter to be in danger. So he will come and rescue Solomon from the danger that he's in because his daughter by marriage is in that same danger. This shows us right up front, there's probably a trust issue here for Solomon. He's not trusting the Lord for protection. He's rather trusting Pharaoh and his army. But this is even more dangerous. Solomon is marrying a foreign woman. And the Old Testament at this stage where God's people are, God has warned them, at this point, I don't want you to marry foreigners because in the land that you're in, what's going to happen is they're going to tempt you to worship foreign gods. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. We find out in 1 Kings chapter 11 that Solomon's romantic life ruined his spiritual life. It says that his many foreign wives led him to worship many foreign gods. In fact, we get a hint of this. Just even in our passage, it says that he would go to these places of local worship. Some translations say high places. These are the places of worship that the people of Canaan would use before Israel ever got there. And then when Israel came in and established the land, they kept those places there. And we don't yet have a temple. It tells us a centralized location to worship the God of Israel. So it's appropriate, like, well, where where are we going to go to worship God? Where are we going to go to do our sacrifices? So it's appropriate to go to these places. See, but what had happened is... They were being used for worship of foreign gods. And sometimes somebody would come who was an Israelite, and they would just follow the practices of those around them, and they would worship foreign gods. And that's what it says happened to Solomon. Verse 3 says, he followed 
all the ways of David except he worshiped at these high places. Does this guy need help? Yes. Does he have a big task before him? Clearly, leading God's people, that's a big thing. He doesn't seem very clean for the job. And, and maybe we could stop for a moment, just hit the pause button and place ourselves in the story. Maybe you know as a follower of Jesus Christ that God has a high calling on your life. You know you should be leading others in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. You know you should be leading your home. You should be leading at work. You should be leading your friends. You should be a person of influence, a person of service, a person of impact. You know that. But maybe you feel like, you know what, Paul, I'm, I'm not clean enough to live out that calling. Right? I've got some habits, some past addictions, some bad thought patterns and rhythms in my life. I'm not clean enough. I hope that you don't stay in that, that point. I'm hoping today you throw that mindset away and that you step into what Solomon's going to step into. Because look at this great king, he's in that same spot, but God wants to use him. And if he'll humbly see it, humbly embrace it, God will use him and God will use you too. So just throw away that voice that says you're not clean enough to live out your calling. You throw that away today. You listen to the voice of God. Let him speak to you and show you he can use you. Let's continue. Let's continue to see, and I hope you are willing to step into this space here of what Solomon is going to do. Jump to verse 4. So we get hints that things maybe aren't right in his worship, but we get a glimmer where things are a little bit better. Look at verse 4. And the most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. Now, and kings were not told that this is a sacrifice to the God of Israel. But Chronicles, who gets this same story, tells us that this was a sacrifice to the God of Israel. So this is good devotion here. It's a good thing. And then God shows up. Another indication that this is a good heart that Solomon's having. And look at how God shows up. Imagine yourself having this type of moment. Imagine if sunrise had this type of moment. Imagine if I had this type of moment. As we're embracing our transition, we're looking forward into the future to the new season that sunrise will embrace if God provides. Imagine if God gave us this moment right here. He worships and then look at verse 5. That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Notice what God's doing here. This isn't an inquiry only. He's not just seeking information. Hey, what do you want? This is a commitment. What do you want? Ask, and I, what's that word there? Will. I will give it to you. He's pledging himself, the God of the universe, to Solomon. Ask, I'll give it to you. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe it's because I got four kids, and so a lot of times Disney creeps in to my Bible reading. I don't know why. It just happens, right? But I think of different images and illustrations of what's going on. And the first thing I think of when I see this, ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. I'm thinking the genie in Aladdin, right? Not Will Smith, Sorry, nice try, Robin Williams, right? Beautiful, wonderful portrayal, right? The old is always better, right? It's always true. But I'm thinking that, 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 that idea, what do you want? I'll give it to you. Man, 
would we ask for? What do we need more than anything to lead in this community more than we ever have before? To lift off, not just admire our past, but amplify the values of our past into our future. To follow that momentum and that trajectory, not just have this nostalgic moment, look at what we did, but this moment that says, look at what we did and look at what we're going to do. What do we need if we're going to make that transition, that move? What do I need as a new leader? Well, I think Solomon hits it perfectly because what he says, God applauds to such a degree that he just opens up the floodgates of heaven and says, you asked for this thing, I'm going to give you that in a whole lot more. And I think if we ask for what he asked for, God will respond in that same way. I'm not only going to give you what you want, I'm going to give you even more, even beyond what you asked for. Look at what Solomon asked for. This is what I hope we're asking for. This is what I'm asking for in this season. God shows up and Solomon right up front speaks very flattering of God. Verse 6, you show great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you continue to show this great and faithful love to me today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. God, you've been good to us. You've been good to us in the past. We can say that. Sunrise, can we say that? God has been good to us. Then Solomon's focus moves to the present. And look at his posture. This is my posture. I think this is our posture as we're moving into this new season. It's a humbling posture. Look at what he says. Now, Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But, but I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And what is he saying here? Is Solomon saying, I'm a young guy. Like, I'm 13. I'm a little child. And then he says, who doesn't know his way around. Is he saying that he's directionally confused? Right? He doesn't have his iPhone updated to the new app function, so he's not able to navigate. What is Solomon saying here? He's saying, when I look in the mirror, I see a little child who doesn't know the way to go. He's not talking about his age. We know this because later when he's reigned for 40 years, we're told that he has a 41-year-old son, which means at the beginning of his reign, right now, he's a mature adult, a married man, and a father. He's not talking about his age here. What is he talking about? He's saying, I don't feel adequate. We already saw some hints that he wasn't maybe the cleanest morally. But now what he's saying, I confess my incompetence. I can't do this. This phrase right here, who doesn't know his way around, is used several times in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's translated, I don't know how to go out and go in. And again, it's not talking about leaving a room or going into a room. It's the idea of leadership. I don't know the ways to go. I don't know the steps to take. I don't know the right path. That's what he's saying. I'm a little child when it comes to leadership. I don't have the skills or the experience, the competence. I feel humbled by this calling on my life. He looks in the mirror and says, I'm small. And then he looks outside and says, This task is large. I'm small. This task is large. Look at what he says. The next verse here, verse 8. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous, they cannot be 
counted. That phrase right there, they cannot be counted. Think of that almost like a hyperlink. You you double click on that and it just takes you to a different place. This should take us back. They cannot be counted. If you've walked with us through the Bible, you've heard this language before. This isn't new in this moment. Not the first time it's used. In fact, it's used over a thousand years ago from this point. Over a thousand years before this point, one man was given a promise. And that man was Abraham. He had no descendants. He had no children. God looked at him and said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a great nation. And your nation will be so great. Your descendants will be so great. They won't be able to be counted. So think about what Solomon knows. For a thousand years, his people have been waiting to be at this capacity. This is their promised capacity. God, you've been faithful to us for so long. And now we're here. Now we're here seeing the promise given to our father Abraham actualized. And what is he? He's scared. I'm small. This is large. I can't do this. Let me tell you right now, that is so appropriate. This is the appropriate response for Solomon. And friend, it's the appropriate response for you. It's the appropriate response for me. God calls us to a place that stretches us. Ministry is meant to put us in a point and put us in a place where we know it is evidently clear that we can't do this on our own. God may have this dream for us, but we are not competent for it. We are not clean enough for it. We find ourselves in a a very humbling state where it is, is unmistakable that we don't have what it takes. And that's exactly where God wants you. Because that will help us to ask for the right thing. And Solomon asked for the right thing. And I hope we will ask for the right thing. What does Solomon ask for? Verse 9. Give me an understanding heart. That I can govern your people well. And know the difference between right and wrong. For who by themselves is able to govern this great people of yours? Verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. Just stop here. Did he actually use the word wisdom? No. Solomon didn't ask for wisdom. At least he didn't use that word. Now God sees what he asked for as wisdom. And if you are familiar with the story of Solomon, I know I feel very familiar with the story of Solomon. I always thought he asked for wisdom, that he used that word, but he didn't use that word. God categorized what he said as that is wisdom. But see, this is what I think happens at times. We take this idea of wisdom, and in our understanding, in 21st century America, we take wisdom as like independent intellect, right? God gave him just this vast amount of knowledge and understanding. It's almost like God like downloaded all of this information, right? It's like he got the matrix plug in, like I know Kung Fu, right? That moment, that's the idea. He plugs him in, I'm wise, Like that's what we think. And then they take the thing out, right? God fills up kind of the bucket of his head and he just walks around life perfectly fine. But that's not the idea here. Go back to verse nine. And I think part of this is we just don't have good English words sometimes to translate what's being expressed in the Hebrew. In fact, I don't really like this word here, understanding. Some of the translations say discerning. I don't think that communicates the right language. I think it gets close, but I don't think it gets the heart. The literal Hebrew is a listening heart. 
God, grant me a listening heart. See, I like this. Why do I like this? Because I think this really communicates the broader picture of what God is offering Solomon. The more vivid picture of what he's offering Solomon. Because what's being acknowledged here is a sense of dependency. I need a listening heart. Not a heart that just says, okay, I heard you. Right, parents? You know the difference? When you ask your kids, are you hearing me? What are you asking? Right? Do the sound waves hit your eardrum in such a way that your brain translates it into information? Right? But when you use a different word as a parent, you say, you need to listen to me. Well, you're saying a lot more than hear. Right? You're saying a lot more than are you getting the information. What are you saying? Are you following me? See, this is the beauty of the Hebrew language here is this is the picture When they would use that term listen, it was the idea, give me a heart that hears you, but a heart that also obeys you. Do you see how as dependent his obedience is? I need a heart that listens, that hears, and obeys. We see dependency right here, just in the end of this verse. Solomon says, for by by himself is able to govern this great people of yours. I can't do this by myself. Then we see this pattern repeated over. God's going to speak to Solomon in chapter 6, in chapter 9, in chapter 11. And each time he does that, God tells him, you know the condition of your success, Solomon? Follow my voice. Hear me and obey me. I need a listening heart. God calls that wisdom. Wisdom is not independent intellect. Downloading the information, having it all, and running away and just doing our work apart from the work of God. No. Wisdom is this. It's a humble recognition that I cannot discern right and wrong without your voice. And I cannot do right and wrong without your power. I need a listening heart. Let me hear your voice louder than any other voice. And let me obey that voice. And Solomon nails it. Right? It's like family feud, right? Survey says he gets the top one. Ding, ding, ding. And then he gets everything else. Like, look at God's almost, and I know this is a really strange phrase to use for the God of the universe, but his almost jolly response to this. Look at how excited God gets about this. Wouldn't you love for God to get excited about your prayers? For God just to smile like, that's exactly what I wanted you to ask for. Like, survey says, ding, 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 ding. You nailed it. Because look what God does. He says, you hit the highest priority. That's your most desperate need. You need a heart that listens to me and is able to obey me. And because you saw that, watch what I'm going to do. Watch how I'm just going to unleash everything else upon you. Look at verse 10. It says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon, think about it, pleased with the guy who's not very clean, pleased with the guy who's admitted to his incompetence at the task. He is pleased. Why? Because he humbly realizes, I can't do this without you. God, give me a heart that hears and obeys. God says, you nailed it. He was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have not asked, or because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. I will, give, I will give you a wise and an understanding heart, such as no one else has had or ever will have, and I will give you what you didn't ask for. Oh, I want that. 
God's like, hey, there was some, some stuff you didn't mention. There's some stuff on your shopping list that you didn't mention. I threw those in for you because you prayed right. You prayed for those things. Now, God said, hey, you could have asked for wealth. You could have asked for victory. You could have asked for a long life, for all these things. You could have asked for those, but you didn't. And those aren't bad things. In fact, the Bible will use those as descriptors of a good king. So they're not bad things. He could have asked for those. But he saw a higher priority. He knew he had a bigger need than wealth and life and protection and victory over his enemies. He needed a listening heart. And God granted that to him. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, that's cool for a king, but I'm not a king. Maybe unless you're the Burger King, you work for that institution, and maybe you are the king. Right? But you, you, we're not called to, to rule over a vast amount of people, right? We don't even believe in that form of government <laughs> in this land. Does God make you the same offer that he made Solomon? Clearly, we have the same need. We, we have the same need. We need a listening heart. But will God grant you that same promise he granted Solomon to give you a listening heart, to give you wisdom if you ask for it? It was good for a king, but is it good for you? You have the same need. You're in a different situation, but do you get the same guarantee? Well, Jesus' brother, James, believes we do. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, James's, or Jesus' brother James believes that we have this same exact promise given to us. And I love that James, we're going to see this in chapter 1, is going to follow a very similar rhythm that the author of Kings did. First, he showed the humble state of Solomon's heart. The task was too big. He looked in the mirror, he said, I'm too small. The people are too large. Lord, I can't do this. I need your help. James is going to give us a calling that I believe is harder than being a king. He's going to lay some commands on us. He's going to lay some obligation on us that is harder than ruling a vast amount of people. You're going to see that in verse 2 through 4. And when we see the hardship of this calling, this high bar of this calling, we're going to feel like Solomon felt. How am I going to do that? And the answer to the how question is wisdom. A listening heart. All right, let me show you this rhythm. Look at verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Nope. Right? That's how I read the Bible sometimes. I interact with it. Nope. <laughs> Swipe right. Uh, nope. Scroll on. Think about what he just said there. Now, he uses a very broad term when he speaks of troubles here. It could be temptations, it could be trials, it could be inner turmoil, outer turmoil. He's basically saying, hey, when life stinks, be joyful. Now, think about that for a moment. Can you imagine, you know, you're in your morning commute, your start and your drive. Somebody from behind you is tailgating you the whole time. You hit that red light. Bam, they smash into you. Your head hits the steering wheel. Airbags go off. And you think to yourself, oh man, this is, this is terrible. Maybe I have whiplash and I got to go to the body shop. What's happening? But then you remember, James tells me to rejoice. So you just whip off that seatbelt, jump out of the car and just say, hallelujah. And then the person who hit you is like, hit and run. Like, I'm out of here. This person is dangerous. Right? You don't jump out of the car and say, I couldn't think of a better way to start my day. <laughs> I thought my pour over at that, that coffee shop was great, but this car accident is wonderful. 
I'm sorry, Christians are weird, but that's, that's just way weird. Is that what James is saying? No, James is not saying your only response to trouble should be joy. That's not what he's saying. You should grieve, you should mourn. The rest of scripture informs us that way. When troubles come our way, when pain comes our way, when loss comes our way, yes, should we, we should respond with a grieving heart, with a sad heart. Even righteous anger at times to certain situations. We should feel kind of when things are tilted in the wrong way and an injustice happens, we should find that repulsive, not rejoice necessarily. What James is saying is not that your only response to be joy, should be joy, but one of your responses should be joy. And why is that? Here's why. Look what he says, verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested and your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You'll mature. This is what James is saying. He's saying that when pain comes in your life, you know that God permitted that thing that didn't please him. God didn't applaud it. He wasn't rejoicing, but he permitted it to happen for a purpose. And it's that purpose behind your pain that you can see and say, in that purpose, I'll rejoice. The pain is terrible. It's awful. It makes my heart grieve. It makes me sad. Tears come to my eyes or anger comes into my heart and says that injustice is wrong. But you see purpose behind the pain. And when you're able to see that purpose, then you say, now I can rejoice because some way this pain is going to make me more like Jesus. Now, in principle, that's easy to say. In practice, that is hard to do. Think about the last time you were in pain. Maybe a, a betrayal. Right? A deep emotional wound. And you know maybe this passage. You know you should rejoice. How hard is it to do that? I think that's a harder assignment than being a king. Don't you? That's a hard assignment. How can we do that? I think James knows his readers would look at this paragraph and say, I'm not reading the rest of this book. <laughs> I can't even do that part. How on earth is that possible? He answers the how question. How can he do it? With only the wisdom of God. With only a listening heart. Right, look at verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. And he, there's that word again. What's this word? Okay, come on. Hooked on Phonics is a great program, by the way. I went through it as a kid. If you need that to work through this word, <laughs> it's fine. I, say it as if this would be the most radical thing for you to hear in your prayers. Is a guarantee that God can do this for you. When you ask for wisdom, it says, and he, that's way better than first service. You should tell him, okay? <laughs> That'll create strife. Good job, Paul. And he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. He'll never say no to that. How many prayers have you prayed in your life where God says no? They happen. If you're not yet a Christian, know that. You need to know that right up front. God will not say yes to all your prayers. He won't. But he'll always say yes to this one. He'll always respond when we get to the point, say, God, teach me. Show me. 
I don't know how to handle this trial. I don't know how to handle this assignment. I don't know how to live a holy life. I don't know how to be a person of impact. I don't know how to be a person of integrity. I know you have a calling on my life. You're calling me to lead these people, to lead this family, to lead through this brokenness, to lead through this pain. I'm experiencing trial. I'm experiencing trouble. I'm trying to walk through temptation. We're all called to live a holy life of humble service. And we feel the weight of that. We say to ourselves, I don't know how to do it. God, can you give me a listening heart that hears you and obey God? God will always say yes and watch me give you more. What do we need more than anything as we move into this new season? A listening heart. A heart says that you speak, I will hear and help me to obey. Imagine if today all of our hearts said that same thing to God. Picture him in heaven saying, sunrise, I hear you. I will not only give you that, but for all this other stuff you didn't even ask for. Because a listening heart is your greatest need. And you nailed it. And you got it right. Watch what I'm going to do. You know, just personally, I'll just speak practically how this is impressed on my heart and in my life. I have found in, in just reading and studying through this passage, I have felt the weight that I think Solomon felt, this sense of heaviness about the calling of serving you as lead pastor. I know the history of Sun, Sunrise, maybe not as intimately as many of you do, but I know it's a great church, a great people a large people, people of impact. I know there's expectations. I know there's responsibility. I know there's all those things. And when I, I look in the mirror, I think my heart says something very similar to what Solomon says. I'm a little child. I know some of you are like, yeah, you do look like a little child. <laughs> That's why I grew out the beard. If I shave this off, you're going to be like, wow, huh? 16-year-old pastor. <laughs> but honestly, when I do, I look in the mirror, I think, I, I I'm a little child. I'm just, I was a poor, angry kid who was terrible in school. God changed his life, and now here I am today. Amen. Right, but I look in the mirror, and I say, man, I'm small, and this task is large. Lord, I need a listening heart. And I can't tell you how much that is meant to me just through this week. God, give me a listening heart. So practically, here's how it's going to play out. Starting next week, you're going to see this. We'll, we'll talk about it more, uh, even more next week. Practically for me, I'm going to listen to God's voice through his word. I'm going to listen to his voice in prayer. And I'm going to listen to him speak through you. Because God speaks through his people. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he didn't figure that out. He became king after and he rejected the wisdom of his people. And what happened? He split the kingdom. <laughs> he didn't have a listening heart. A listening heart listens to God, listens to his word, and listens to God speak through his people. So I want to listen to you. I want to hear you. So next week, we're going to unleash, hopefully, if it's all taken care of and put together correctly, we're going to give a survey out. It's going to take time. It'll take you probably 20 minutes to finish it. And we haven't yet fully crafted it because we want it to be specific to Sunrise Church. And it's going to be completely anonymous. You'll take it online. You'll have a QR code, a link. We'll give you all that stuff. So don't worry about that stuff. But I want you to really lean into this. 
because I want to hear God speak through your voice. I want to know how you're doing spiritually. And this survey is going to be completely anonymous, and some of it's going to be really some hard questions for you to walk through. But no, it's going to be completely anonymous, so I want you to be completely honest, because I want to know how to serve you best. I want to hear how you're doing spiritually, and I wish I could sit down and have coffee with every single one of you, right? And maybe I'll get that goal, but right now, the biggest burden I feel is I want to hear God's voice through your spiritual needs. I want to know how to serve you best, so please help me lean into that. I'm asking you next week when all that comes out, let's everybody lean into that. Let's get hundreds of people participating in that because I want to hear God's voice so I can lead you well. Now, as we move to communion, I want to make this practical for you. You know, we think about these symbols that are before us at the table, and we give a lot of attention to coming to the table and taking the elements, and and we should. That's appropriate. That's where the priority is. But I want to change it just a little bit. I want to capture you walking the aisle to the table. I want to capture that and say, let's be thoughtful about that. Here's what I mean by that. As you walk to the table, I want you to think of this I want you to think as your walk is walking in the path of a fool. I know that sounds weird, but think Jesus Christ walked to Golgotha's hill to suffer and die for our sin. As people saw him walk to Golgotha's hill, they saw the path of a fool. And the world sees the path of the cross as foolishness. Why would strength and power stoop down to the weak and to the frail? Why would a king suffer and die? But Jesus does not see the pathway to the cross as the path of the fool, but rather the path of the wise. It is the path of God. It's not a path of loss, but of victory. It's a path of redemption. It's a path of triumph, a path of resurrection. And God calls us all to walk the path of the fool. Christianity looks like foolishness. The path of Jesus Christ looks like foolishness. We do some pretty weird things as Christians. We give away our money. We give away our time. We rejoice at funerals. We're weird. Outside, it looks like foolishness. But you know, as you've walked with Jesus, you know it's not foolishness, it's wisdom, it's beauty, and it's power. And so what I want to do, as you participate in communion, I want you to take the time, as you walk the aisle, to walk the path of the fool. To maybe pray, Father, clear out all the voices of the world. Clear out all the voices in here that value things that you don't value. Give me a listening heart. Let me hear your voice and obey it. Can you imagine how God would smile over Sunrise Church if everybody walking to take these elements didn't treat it as a trifle thing, but walking the path of the fool to say, God, empty my mind of those voices and fill it with your wisdom. Would he smile on us and say, I'll give you even more. Now maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ. Here's my challenge and encouragement to you today. Is as you first encounter the ways of God and you start to read this book, trust me, 
It'll look like foolishness to you at first. But the more you dig in, the more you experience, the more you hear, the more you watch the lives of those around you here, the more you will see it as wisdom and beauty. Let me show you this. Paul described this to the church that he was ministering to at Corinth. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says that this is the experience of many of the people that he interacts with. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22, it says, It is foolishness to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it is foolishness to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. Next verse, verse 23. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews, they're offended. And the Gentiles, they say, this is all nonsense. What foolishness. But then something happens. Last verse, verse 24. But to those who are called by God to salvation, both the Jews and the Gentiles, that crowd that thought it was foolish, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. My encouragement to you is keep coming, keep digging, keep living life right here around these people and you will find that there is beauty and wisdom in the path of the fool, the one who listens to the voice of God. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you call us on a pathway that looks like foolishness, but is one of great wisdom. And Father, we feel the sense of need. We feel the sense of obligation upon our lives. We know our calling is heavy. It is high. And under that weight, we find ourselves saying, just like Solomon, how can I do this? I'm just a little child and I don't know which way to go. But you are honored by our humility. And when we cry out and say, give us a listening heart, Father, give us wisdom, it pleases you to hear that. So Father, right now as a church, we're asking, give us a listening heart. We want to lead well, lean in to the next season that you have for us. And to do that, we need you. Oh, how desperately we need you. We need you to be before us. We need you to be our vision. We need you to be our dream our aspirations, our power. We need you. May we be a people who hears your voice and obeys. And Father, those who are here, maybe for a guest, as a guest for the first time, or maybe just a couple weeks, Father, I pray that you continue to reward their curiosity, to come alongside them and show them, yes, this may look like the way of a fool, but there's deep wisdom here. That life following God's design is one where we experience flourishing. The place where we give away money and we are more fulfilled than if we got more. A place where we give more of our time and yet you abundantly bless us as we sacrifice the time. A place where we just stop thinking about ourselves so much is a place where we feel the most satisfied. What a contrary thing into what the world promotes to us. May we really be a people who follow the path of a fool because it's the wisdom of God in having that listening heart. Father, grant that to us. To Christ's name I pray. Amen.